Hello and welcome to the Sports Pro Podcast. I'm Katie. I'm Millie. And I'm Tori. And on this special New Era edition of the pod, we're going to be talking about this summer of women's sport and also getting a bit personal and talking about what sport means to us. But firstly, I'd like to welcome on Tori, who is making her special Sports Pro debut. Can you tell the listeners a bit more about yourself and your role here? Yeah, of course. Thanks for letting me join. So I'm an account manager at Sports Pro. I've actually recently just stepped into the production team. So bit of a hybrid role working on like audience development and some more event delivery stuff and working with partners and exhibitors as well. Good to have you, Tori. A little bit later on, we'll be hearing from the latest addition to the new era steering group, Abby Ijasami, the COO of CAF, the African Football Confederation, who's been chatting to our colleague, Eleanor Kuyufa. Before we get into that, we are going to have a conversation about what sport means to us. When we were planning this episode, it occurred to us that we all have very different relationships with sport and that actually it might be a nice idea to share our personal journeys. We settled on doing this in two parts. So firstly, what sport has taught us on a personal level as a fan, as a player, or even just as part of our career. And then what we've learned from a major event. Katie, maybe it's best to start with you, given you not only now work in sport, but you've also studied it and have been an athlete as well. Yeah, so coming from less of a personal angle first, I guess. So I spent four years at university studying sport and I'm just really fascinated by the benefits of sport as a whole. So not only did I study the science behind sports relation to a person's mental, emotional, social and obviously the physical health, but also the business side of things and like the economic impact that sport can have. So in the UK alone, sport and physical activity contributes to around 40 billion in the UK economy each year. So obviously today we're jumping into our own experiences and thoughts, but I'm sure we'll only be touching the surface. Um, So yeah, from more of a a personal standpoint, my background with sport uh, started very early. I played every sport I honestly could growing up. And my main love really was tennis. But unfortunately, I had to give that up due to injury. It was, it's one of those stories where if I hadn't have given it up, I'd probably be alongside Emma Raducanu and Katie Bolter right now. Uh, a bit of a sore subject that we don't talk about. And my interest now turns more towards netball, where I play at a high level at uni and still play now. So coming back to the topic of today and what sports taught me from a playing point of view I'll take my short-lived tennis career as the backbone of the conversation where from the ages of seven to I think around 15 I was training as a high performance athlete at Loughborough University and at various other clubs and I'd be training or competing around six times a week around school so weekends before school after school And that alone, without a doubt, has instilled like such ambition and drive in me, as well as things like strong mental resilience, strong work ethic and discipline. And it's just crazy to reflect on it now because it was so normal at at the time having that sort of crazy schedule. And I was probably the busiest seven year old that I knew. And not that I know many seven year olds now, but probably still would say that I know, (laughs) especially because I also took my education so seriously, too. I think now in adulthood, I'm constantly striving to do better, be better across everything I do. And it's definitely a product of that strict and, and very busy, but also incredible training regime. So, yeah, that was kind of my playing experience with sport growing up and how it's impacted things now. But what about your experience, Mills? I have never played sport competitively and it's definitely something that I've struggled with 
working in this industry. I wanted to be quite candid and open and start by saying that and making a point of it because you don't need to be an ex-athlete or an athlete to work in the industry. But I found that not being in that position has encouraged a lot of imposter syndrome in my career working in the sports industry. I think especially when so many people do have that background like yourself, Katie, and you constantly hear how sought after working in the sports industry is and how lucky we are to be a part of it, which we are. And I absolutely feel that. But I think one thing that we want and this new era initiative specifically wants is for sport, if it's going to teach us anything, for that to be inclusivity. And so I wanted to start by saying that I don't feel that I fit the mould in that way. And I have struggled with that at various aspects in my career. I mean, even just sort of agreeing to do this episode and talking about what sports taught me, it's taught me so much. But I grappled with being not being the best person to speak about it, having not had that sort of athletic background. But actually, I wanted to make a point of it because I think that there may be people in a similar position to me and there is value to what we can bring. And that value is the diversity of experience. And there's insight that sort of differing path can add. So I wanted to start by saying that, but it's not to say that I don't have sport within my family. So my granddad was actually a professional golfer in the 60s. So he was the Hampshire PGA champion for six years and played in multiple PGA tournaments, played in the British Open, just missed out on qualifying for the Ryder Cup in the 60s. So that's been a huge source of pride for me and my family. And the thing that has taught me most through him is connection. So sport has always facilitated that connection within my family, having sort of played golf, going to the driving range with my granddad, playing golf with my dad and my brothers, watching sport with my friends and my family, even sort of fantasy football leagues um, with people that you might not sort of socialise with. Otherwise, I'd say that sport and that experience with my granddad has always taught me connection and it's facilitated a lot of connection that I have in my life then and also now. Tori, where, where do you stand on that? Personally, what sport has taught me, I mean... I didn't play too much. I grew up, hockey was probably my main sport, but my life was consumed with dance as well, which people like to debate about dance being a sport. But yeah, my life was kind of consumed with those two things and amongst other things. And I think what doing that has taught me and what playing in the hockey team, for example, has taught me is that we've got to remember that everyone in teams has different strengths and different weaknesses. And I think sport teaches you that it's not a bad thing and that everyone should play to them. I think you need people who can apply different skills and just like embracing people for who they are, not worrying what they look like and things like that. And I think these are kind of themes and practices we can take into our work lives as well. Like we need to remember that your strengths are your strengths, play to them. Don't be afraid to be different. And I think that's something that this new era program is brilliant for. And it really, really gives people the kind of open space to be vulnerable and to to shine and play to their strengths and things like that. So definitely something we're leaning towards and something that I kind of learned through my personal experiences of being part of a team amongst so many other things. I mean, the discipline, learning to be focused, not quitting and those things. But from a spectator point of view, looking at it a bit differently, I am a Chelsea fan, <laughs> probably hearing a few boos right now. But yeah, I am a Chelsea fan. We've had it tough the last couple of years. But I think 
one of my favorite things to do is to go and watch live sport and I think supporting the likes of a club can actually provide people a sense of belonging like you're there with a group of people and you're all there for a common purpose or you're united for the same reason and it's for your love of the game or your love for the club and I think the excitement builds right online and then you get there and then you go to the butcher's hook pub or whatever your pub is of choice and then you get in the stadium and you just connect with people in a different way and I'm kind of talking about Chelsea games here but even just communities that you get in small towns of like the local community coming together at the local clubs I think is important to highlight as well because that's something I've definitely experienced growing up in my town as well they were certainly like the hubs of the town so yeah it's a passion that people share absolutely it allows the connection in person online these sorts of events which is brilliant I think this world is shifting online isn't it so it's nice to have that connection still at live events but you can have such different kind of personal connections with sport and it definitely brings people together but I think the most obvious is with the major events so the likes of the Olympics World Cups big tournaments so I'd really like to dive into what we've all learned about from those temple moments I mean should we start with you Millie? Yeah sure I found this section really difficult to think about. I think it became clear to me when I was researching it that I, and probably I'm similar to most people, in that I, it's not natural for me to sit and watch a sports tournament from end to end, full stop, but then think about, okay, what is it teaching me? What am I learning from it? I watch moments and tournaments are designed to be entertaining and I'll tune in to the bits that excite me because I have a personal connection to the team or the player or it's a, a tempo moment in the tournament. So I watch to be entertained and Obviously, moments of history are made inevitably throughout and they're earmarked and then the tournament ends and four years later, it happens all over again. And I think in that way, sport is a form of entertainment and it's culture building and it's community building. But that being said, it's the political undercurrents that sport like can antagonise or influence and that's where it goes beyond entertainment and I think that's where the power really sits in sport. I know Katie has a sort of more stats uh, to lean on when referencing that so I'll leave that to her but I think sport we've seen over the past couple of years can make huge strides towards social change. The World Cup in Qatar for example, the Women's Euros and that power, that's that sort of that influence is a huge responsibility for those like us who work in the industry and it's really our responsibility to make sure that that social change is positive and we're making shifts in the right direction. It's where we host the tournaments. It's how we broadcast it. It's who's getting access and who's being invited to participate. It's how we react to various incidents that we've seen even over the past couple of weeks. I think that's where the power sits and that's where we have responsibility working in the sports industry. I think I'll lead on to you, Katie, because you had some thoughts on the Women's World Cup as well, didn't you? Yeah, I mean, just to start by saying this really has been a golden summer for women's sport. And it's just been incredible to see, starting with the Women's Ashes, which saw record crowds across the board, both in the ground and on TV. The country was gripped by the compelling series between England and Australia, which unfortunately finished level. The success of playing the series concurrently with the Men's Ashes meant that the fans bought into a broader narrative. 
And then we led into the Women's 100 tournament as well, which followed also being a triumph. But turning to the Football World Cup this summer in Australia, we've seen incredible figures there as well, as I'm sure many people are already aware of. Stadium crowds at the tournament hit a total of around 2 million fans. The previous record was just over a million set at 2015 at the Women's World Cup in Canada. The average crowd in Australia and New Zealand was around 30,000, which again beat previous records set at 2015, where the average was around 25. And then in Australia alone, the final attracted a high of five and a half million viewers. More on that, I mean, this year's prize pot for the tournament increased to 110 million, nearly threefold increase from 2019. This year's tournament also saw every player receive compensation from FIFA. National federations also received one and a half million for reaching the group stages. So now now in England, I have no doubt that the momentum gained from the Euros last year will only continue. Lauren James' screamers against China this year, all three of the goals against the Matildas, enough Marriott's wonder saves to last a lifetime. That will only continue to like build the momentum in England alone, but across different countries like Colombia, Nigeria, Jamaica, seeing their teams not get the same amount of funding, but still go and represent at the World Cup and beat teams that have got more funding than them it's only going to change football in those respective countries and especially with the remarkable injection that they're getting from FIFA into their grassroots and high performance schemes we'll just see great impact there for younger players especially turning to the netball world cup I mean I'm, I'm a netball player so I was kind of glued to the screen for a couple of weeks while that was on over the summer really interesting one from there and I was really thrilled to hear about it was the whole broadcast team from every camera operator to the commentators were female. Now, we all know the difficulties that women face in sport. We've got a whole project here called New Era that focuses on that. But to see this was just fantastic. So a bit more into that. The host broadcaster of the event, Supersport, hired 250 females in their crew. This is the first time globally that an all-women's crew has been assembled for a World Cup broadcast. I spent some more time reading into it and in the commitment that they made was outstanding. They produced a like, really rigorous training scheme. They put on 200 live local games for those selected to practice on with their mentors and coaches just to make sure they were fully prepped for the World Cup and uh, safe to say they did an absolutely fantastic job. And then, yeah, just moving more recently, I'm also a bit of a tennis nut. So seeing 19-year-old Coco Goff take the title this year at the US Open was very inspiring, undoubtedly so to many younger tennis players across the globe but also worth saying she is an athlete who really uses her platform to drive change and she's been very open about that I mean even in interviews on the day of semi-finals where the protest delayed her match by 45 minutes people going on the court even in an interview after the match she was actually generally quite supportive of the efforts that they did she did say preferably not in her match but I mean, don't blame her for that. But yeah, so I mean, all these three things I've just mentioned are just prime examples just from the past few months of how sport can really be used to drive change. We also have a couple of projects here at Sports Pro that we might get onto at the end that we're also trying to use to drive change and using our platforms to do so. But Tori, what thoughts do you have on major events in general in sport? Yeah, I mean, you've kind of just gone through some different tournaments. Um, and I think absolutely sport is a vehicle for a social change. And I think that it has the ability to socially empower people, which we are seeing more and more. For example, even when there's conflict in the world, like these major events that you've just alluded to, they're bringing together international communities despite cultural differences, right? You're all there for the same reason. And I think that's one of the most beautiful things about sport. 
And I think you've just mentioned again, those tournaments, like in terms of having diversity on our screens, we're finally starting to see more come through, but it's important that this continues to progress. The more we broadcast not only a variety of different sports, but also more of the like women's sports, we need to be promoting this and doing this through the linear channels to get more eyes on the game. And I think in hand, this will start to shift perspectives, especially for the likes of the youth of today who are going to grow up as future leaders and they have more influence than you think on the likes of social platforms. So yeah, they can dictate a lot of trends, but look, as you said, Katie, the numbers for these tournaments, they don't lie. And they just prove that women's sports tournaments they're a brilliant investment and people need to start considering them as that. The, I mean, the takeaways, like you say, women are more than capable of running broadcasting teams. They're more than capable of capturing the nation, selling out stadiums, driving exposure and momentum for sport. As you say, Tori, the barriers that have previously been used as, as an excuse, if you like, to hold women's sports back, we can clearly overcome slash don't exist and never have done and we should continue to see the financial backing and the growing momentum yeah the only way is up now i think for women's sports as uh money talk so do the stats so hopefully that's the trend um now seems like a great time to cut to eleanor talking to abby ishasami who is the coo of the african football confederation and part of our new era steering group let's hear what she has to say about what sport has taught her Sorry to interrupt the podcast. I'm just here to tell you about a new partner that has come on board for our new era initiative. The lovely folks at Explore Edmonton have joined as an executive partner ready for the launch of our 2023-24 programme. We're really excited to have them on board and more details about what we'll be working on together will be revealed in due course. Back to the podcast. Hi, welcome back. And I am delighted to introduce to you Abby Ijasari, our latest edition of our New Era Steering Group and the COO of the African Football Confederation. Welcome, Abby. It's great to have you here with us. Hi, Elena. Thank you for having me. It's lovely to be here. Great. So you are actually based in Saudi now. How is everything there? It's a really good question. I arrived the night before yesterday and I have literally been in my office for two days. So I haven't seen anything of outside as of yet. Um, but yeah, I currently in Saudi. We have our Super Cup here on Friday. So really excited about working with the Saudi Federation, etc. So I hope to go and explore later on today. Um, it would be great if you could briefly introduce yourself, maybe give a few words of how you got into the sport industry and all your career adventures, as I've heard you like to call them, <laughs> and what has led you to this position to date? Yeah, of course, absolutely. Well, my training is very standard in the sense I'm a lawyer. I have a master's in international commercial law, and I'm also a member of Lincoln's Inn, so the UK bar. Prior to my current role at CAS, I was a legal and compliance director for a corporate affairs division. So I'm very governance-based in, in, in my approach and, and my experience, et cetera. And within that role, I worked within the luxury travel concierge, which is a kind of very niche business, but we contracted with airports globally around the world. So I was used to working with lots of global brands, et cetera, but it's a very complex regulatory framework when it comes to airports. So again, my governance background came in very handy and I was able to bolster it through that as well. But I also, that's where I also took my journey into operations. Generally, I oversaw quite a few departments, including our HR. And that role really helped me transition into the much wider scale of looking at uh, an operational exercise of running a business, actually. So that's kind of my background. 
some years before that, before my directorate with my previous company, um, I actually made my kind of debut into sport was actually through basketball. So um, a little different from what I'm doing now. Amazing. Well, that's a, a very impressive CV and I'm sure there is more bits and bobs around the area that you maybe have not mentioned right now. Um, something I do want to emphasize that some of our listeners may not be aware of is that if I'm not mistaken, you are the first woman at the CAF who holds a C-suite role and is the first COO of the organization. Is that right? Yeah, that's actually correct. It's um, a nice little slip. It actually is. Traditionally, governing bodies in football have a deputy general secretary. But with CAF, they wanted to really drive the strategy and move the organization forward and modernize in lots of areas. So they opted for a CEO to drive that day to day within the organization. So, yeah, I'm very blessed and very lucky to have held that very first position. That's, that's amazing. Congratulations. And I'm sure there is more to come from you with, you know, advocating for representation, for all this change that is coming in that field of sport. But I think it would be great if you could give us a very brief touch on maybe what your day to day looks like. I'm sure you you juggle a lot of things, but maybe a, a brief outline of what your day looks like. Yeah, absolutely. Well, as I mentioned, so my role focuses predominantly on moving the strategy forward. So in 2021, our president was elected to the CAF, Dr. Patrice Mutsepi, and he had a really bold but very achievable vision for African football. And that vision focused a lot on investment, development and support and a lot of areas where he really wanted to transform the game. So the strategy is quite an aggressive strategy, but it is delivering in those areas of development. So I work with eight divisions. We have directors of each division, and that includes competition, our development. And within that, we have our head of women's football, which is a really exciting kind of project and division to be involved with right now as well. We've seen them do fantastically well at the Women's World Cup and seeing how our teams within Africa are moving forward. But it's also some of the more support stuff. So we obviously have HR, legal and compliance and our finance director. So we all work as a team and I'm a bit like a project manager, I guess, over all of that, making sure that all of those divisions come together on a daily basis and make sure that we have the correct processes and processes in place and that we have a really great governance framework because we've obviously just had a lot of reforms to ensure that we move forward to deliver the strategy in a really coherent way. Amazing. Yeah, thanks for summary of all that stuff you do i'm sure that requires a lot of adapting a lot of leadership skills and of course an, an intrinsic love for what you do and i, I just want to go back to what you mentioned earlier that earlier in your career you started as a basketball agent and particularly worked with female athletes i would be really interested to hear about how you got into that space and in what ways it's shaped you because you do a lot to spearhead the females in this industry. So it would be great to see how you got into that and how it shaped you. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, for me, it's quite funny because I wasn't a basketball fan, the same as I wasn't a particular football fan before I came into the sport. But from a basketball perspective, I came in, I suppose, fresh from university and from a sales role. So I was always very good at selling. And I knew that I wanted to do something around sport, but I didn't know what it was going to be specifically. But I got an opportunity to work with an agency based in London who focused on players that didn't make the NBA, 
but that were still really hungry to play. And so we would place them at the time in various different leagues around Europe, around the Middle East, etc. I started off with the men. I was a very aggressive salesperson, so I got quite a lot of placements, which was great. But I would also manage them more what you see along the talent management side of things now is we would work with their visas, but we would also support them in their day to day of moving and living in a different country. Mentality is quite interesting because mentalities between the two different players are very different. The guys are always very, very hungry, but the female players were always kind of, their questions are very different as in, okay, so where am I going to live? What does this look like? What if the team doesn't work out? And I think being able to relate to what that looked like, because I lived in various different countries myself, I was able to bring a different kind of package and approach to actually working with female players to be able to answer their questions and give them that reassurance that when you are moving, that there will be someone there to support you, to look out for you and to make sure that, you know, you can focus on what's happening on the court and we'll take care of everything else that, you know, is, is behind all of that to give you that reassurance. So I was able to develop a niche for myself in, in within that and the agency really loved what was happening. So they allowed me to set up the division and I eventually spearheaded that for women's basketball. I was one of two female agents at the time, so really had a great opportunity to, to build that up, which we did. Amazing. And I can say as someone who used to play soccer competitively, football, I grew up in Greece and obviously things weren't as developed in that field. So when I hear this, I say I wish I had that when I was younger because I often found myself in such situations where I was wondering what was the right pathway. And, you know, oftentimes, as you said, coaches also come from a, a male um, sort of area of training and coaching and different needs and a different drive sometimes. So, yeah, I, I'm glad you did that. And I'm sure that this has sort of shaped you in the, in the way you deal with a lot of situations now and being able to represent athletes and I'd be interested to know have you did you grow up playing a sport yourself I didn't grow up well I say playing a sport I was uh, from a very obscure sport called baton twirling baton twirling I don't know whether you've ever heard of it (laughs) I've not actually you've not okay well majorettes I suppose is what the average person would call it but actually it's a sport where I trained five days a week three days a week for baton twirling and then we had gymnastics and dance in that so it was akin to being a professional athlete. From my perspective, my sport to me was kind of everything. I say that really took up all of my time after school. I think the support that we got was also really crucial. So I see it from that perspective. I'd come from sport from, a, say, a baton twirling background, which uh, is something that, for me, really taught me so many disciplines. Not basketball, but yeah, definitely as disciplined. Yeah, no, I think a lot of countries and their strategies as well, they're also very open to children, young adults going into a bunch of different sports because they all have something to offer you. And, you know, whether that be in in other sports or then in your career later on. So you briefly touched on that, but it would be great if you can share what sport has actually taught you and how you've um, implemented that, you know, mindset or practice into other things you do today. We were really immersed in when I say me, myself and my sister, we started when I believe I was eight um, when I began. And it all came about from watching a baton twirling group in our local carnival. So (laughs) troop of baton twirlers would parade down the street and I was fascinated. So, you know, I immediately spoke with my mum and kind of badgered her to find us somewhere to go. And we started off in a local troupe, but very quickly progressed to what was considered a very competitive baton twirling troupe 
based in Hastings in East Sussex. And that was about 20 miles away from where we lived. So it was a pretty huge commitment for my parents to kind of ferry us there three times a week. But the interesting thing is, is that we, I think one of the things that was really great is that there was a support network. So there were three families from where we were who we were all going to the same troop. So they would quite literally take it in turns to ferries. They had their own little schedule arranged so to make sure that we could get there for training. But it wasn't only the training during the week. We also had weekends, pretty much was a full weekend of either competitions or of full-scale development training. So I think what Baton Chuiling taught me was obviously the commonly cited values that you would get in any sport, such as discipline and dedication. And obviously, I think the importance of perseverance as well. Because as you can imagine, when you're tossing a baton in the air, I don't know whether I can describe this very well, but we would do what was called a triple spin. You throw the baton in the air and you have to turn around underneath it three times before you have to position yourself to catch it. Sounds really easy, but actually that takes an enormous amount of practice. And also it takes an enormous amount of pain and bruising because the baton would fall in places that it shouldn't, like on your head or on your arms. So we would get bruises all the time, but you just keep going until you've mastered it. So perseverance, I think, was a skill that was really important. But I say it's not an easy sport. It requires precision, grace, balance, athleticism, and I say endless hours of practice to be able to perfect those skills. So I think, you know, I don't think there's a day that goes by now that I don't use something that I learned throughout my eight years of baton twirling. You know, the leadership, the competitiveness, because you work Either you can be a solo competitor or you can work within a team. And in that team, you have to trust your teammates because, you know, quite often you're throwing a baton to them and the timing has got to be so on point so they can catch it in the right place. So, you know, you really do build up a whole team camaraderie as well. That's amazing and a very, very interesting background. I feel like I need to go try that and see if I can manage to throw under a baton and catch. You should Google. (laughs) I definitely will do after this call. I'm very much um, intrigued to find it out more. But yeah, I 100% agree. And I think every discipline from different sports can be utilized in either our personal life or professional careers. Because when I reflect back on the days that I used to train for something competitively or have that drive to become professional or do something I think it came as such a a natural intrinsic passion back then and I think a lot of people struggle to find that today and we always you know try to give advice or try to reignite that fire somehow and I think if people reflect back on the days they can see how easy it is if you find the right thing that you feel confident in your ability that you know what you're going for that you have a set goal And it does take a lot of commitment and we're not always on our own like we are maybe now because, you know, you mentioned your parents taking you back and forth and that's something we take for granted back then. And now sometimes I think of my parents doing the same thing for me and I wonder where they found the time to do that and have their personal life and have food on the table for us and do everything and they did it so seamlessly. So, you know, everyone needs a support network and I think it goes without saying that even today in our careers, even through this new era program, you'll see a lot of the members are established people in their industries and in their careers, but everyone has a need for this support system or making it easier to do something. So I think it's lovely that, you know, we can reflect on these days and transcend them into what we do now. 
And, you know, it would be great at this point if you could maybe tell me what inspired you and what got you into sort of becoming a steering group member for our new era group. Yeah, you say that support is so crucial and it absolutely is. And I think for me, what was really important for me getting involved with the new era, I was so excited to do so, is it's personal. As you just mentioned, I myself also was one of those young ladies, hardworking, very driven, very hungry for knowledge and also for opportunities. But I didn't always feel like I got the support in the working world that I would do from the experience you had with your parents when you're at home. They set the ground that anything is possible. And therefore, you go out into this world with this amazing confidence that, you know, you just have to put the working and you will get to where you need to get to. But quite often, I think you find that, as you say, doors are shut for whatever reason. So therefore, for the new era program for me and the, the whole idea of the mentoring side of, and being able to impart advice and be able to give, you know, some supporters and guidelines as to ways to maneuver around things, I think was really key for me. So, um, you know, a pathway wasn't always laid out, but I think a program like New Era really gives the next generation of women a solid foundation, a networking group, almost like being able to say, look back at your parents and you've got someone behind you saying, keep going, keep going. You've got this. Try looking at it this way, another way. And I think to have that from a career perspective is really valuable. So it's a project that I'm thrilled to be able to contribute my time to and the knowledge that I've learned and the expertise to help someone else develop and become successful, you know, the young executives that are coming up in their careers. Yeah, no, we're thrilled to have you on board as well, because just like with the rest of the steering group members we got, it's lovely that they're all open and willing to help. And even for the community we have, we've seen at events, you know, we all leave from there as friends. And I think a lot of times, even from personal experience, it might feel intimidating to go to these big sport industry events where sometimes they can be quite male dominant as well or you're not sure who to approach and how to start a conversation so at least having a familiar face or having a common program that you're a part of or having read something that maybe isn't all about sports business but it's just about advice or how to to go about a certain thing um, can always be so comforting so yeah we always encourage you know this type of approach we're so excited to see what comes in the, the, the next year or so um, that you'll be with us and, you know, supporting all our cohort. And, you know, recently we also discussed with last year's cohort, you know, about major events, in particular the Women's World Cup that has just gone. I know the CAF had also representatives in there. I think there were four teams competing. That's correct. And, you know, I think major events are so pivotal to how we as women in the industry also see ourselves and have a place to speak about things. And I think the World Cup has been amazing, not only for women, it has for me because I have seen so much change. And even just hearing my dad when we were at home saying, oh, we need a tune in to see the Women's World Cup. To me, that was so exciting. So I don't know if for you, I'm sure it's groundbreaking for the cast as well and for you to be involved in this, but I don't know if there's been any other major event that has been pivotal in your career and maybe shifted your your mindset or the way you approach things? Um, absolutely. And I think first out on that note, I'd really like to take the opportunity to congratulate our head of women's football, Mesquerain Goshimi, 
who over the last few years has made amazing strides with women's football. I mean, obviously, I've only been with the CAF now for just over a year, but I know that she has been plowing away and is relentless in her mission to get women's football in Africa to where it needs to get to. And I think watching our progress at the World Cup is real credit, not only to the teams that qualified and took part, but also to the head of women's football for CAF. So um, amazing job and fantastic. Well done. And I think for me, one of the sporting events, and actually it was quite recently, is within my time in CAF, I think really shaped and changed my position. As I mentioned, I'm not really a football fan. It's quite ironic that I end up a CEO of the Confederation of African Football, but I absolutely recognize that football is an amazing vehicle for development across the continent of Africa. Um, So really that's where my passion is wrapped up. But last year when I first started CAF, my first competition, which I think was at the end of May, so I'd been with the organization for about a month, was the CAF Total Energies Champions League. It was their final and it happened in Casablanca, Mohamed Sank Stadium. I think I was there for five days and I spent time getting to know a little bit about the operations of the stadium. So I spent time with our amazing head of security, Dr. Christian. I spent time with our competitions director, Samson Adimu, and also with the medical team, Dr. Siddiqui and anti-doping, a gentleman called Sharif, who is an amazing wealth of knowledge when it comes to anti-doping. So I got the opportunity to really look at the competitions from, not from the pitch, but from the backside of obviously the operational side and to go around with all of these broadcast and media also and uh, the digital team to see what happens. And I remember thinking that, okay, this looks a little chaotic to me every, every day that I would rock up at the stadium and I'm thinking, okay, we've got two days, uh, three days, two days, one day. I was amazed at how my team pulled everything together. I was in awe. Match day, it was just incredible. 80,000 participation capacity stadium and it was full. The two teams were teams called El Ali and Widad, which El Ali is an Egyptian team. So um, CAF is actually based in Cairo and Widad is Moroccan, both wearing red, a sea of red. But just to watch the team deliver this enormous competition and do it with such grace and such poise and to hear the crowd. And I remember having been in the security briefing and they were talking about flares and how they check the buses, etc. And I got into the stadium and there were flares and I'm looking at my security thinking, but I thought there were no flares. <laughs> and I learned so many different things that could happen during that time from an operational perspective. But that really shaped me because The CAF team, it's a really small team compared to someone like UEFA. We have the same amount of member associations. CAF have 54, UEFA have 55. But our competitions team is actually a very small team. And to watch how they they deliver these competitions, my hat goes off to them. They are just an incredible team when it comes together. So it very much is a case of teamwork makes the dream work because when they pull off these competitions and you see the end results, yeah, it's just a, a life-changing experience for me, it was. And I, I'm now I'm now a fan. So <laughs> I love going to the stadium. I love seeing what's happening. And that was one of the experiences that really changed me and shaped me when it comes to the sport game of football. That's amazing. So we can now officially call you a fan of the game. Yes. And I hope 
we might see at some point with a flare. I'm not sure if that will happen, but I'm sure the fans would love that. <laughs> and I know there's a lot of upcoming stars as well who, uh, in you know, the calf region that definitely would like to be part of all this. And I say this from personal experience because a couple of weeks ago, I came back from Uganda and um, oh, I went yeah. and um, helped out a local, well, a high school tournament. They told me it was a national high school tournament. Randomly saw them playing and just went to support them, which was an amazing experience. And it was really touching to see to see young girls play with no shoes, with one shoe. But the passion and the drive and some of the coaches, how excited they were, filled me with joy. So I'm sure there is um, a lot more work and a lot of rising stars and a lot of determination and drive, which of course comes from all this work behind the scenes, giving them the aspiration to do big stuff. And, you know, sometimes, as you said, it's not necessarily being a fan of the game, because when I grew up, I would never watch football matches. I would never support a, a team, but I love playing football. So sometimes, you know, you don't have to take all those boxes and there's so much football can do and sports can do. And um, from our discussion that we just had, there's a lot that sport, you know, can teach us, whether that be watching an event, whether that's having a family member that's passionate about sport, you know, there's a whole host of things. So, you know, it's, it's really good to hear all that. That's exactly why I'm here is as you've just talked about the passion. And I think that is absolutely, as you say, to see the kids, there are so many things that football can teach them on so many different levels. We have a schools program. Um, you just mentioned your time in Uganda, whereby we don't only have the schools championship, but we have the side programs of the young journalists, the young reporters, um, the young media officers, et cetera, because it, it is absolutely a vehicle of, of teaching so many skills, absolutely, in terms of what sport the sports industry has taught us. There's, the skills are constant and ongoing. That's amazing. Well, thank you so much. And I would just like maybe a couple of words of what you're excited to do with the New Era program. I know it's just the beginning and we're soon to announce the, the next class, but you know, you've always been there to support people and create this create this pathway. So maybe just a couple of words of what you're excited about. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I don't want to make myself sound old. However, I am really looking forward to seeing some of the creativity that's going to be coming through on the program. Obviously, technology is changing the whole way sports is delivered and viewed nowadays. So I'm really looking forward to seeing some cohorts on the program that have got some, you know, really interesting ideas and stances when it comes to technology and how that's being pushed forward. But I'm also just really looking forward to to ensuring that we as a, a board and as a strategy can really just support those women that are coming up next. So my time is here and I'm open and yeah, really looking forward to, to what we can do um, through the Nero program. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story, your career path, your aspirations for the future and basically for being by us as a program as we try to advocate for this new era of gender equality and our representation in the sports industry. So, Abby, thank you so very much for your time and for everyone listening, stay tuned for all the big exciting things coming along. Thank you, Elena. 
Before we go, I'd like to thank everyone who applied for this year's New Era class. New Era is a year-round programme designed to recognise, support and advocate for a new era of gender equality and representation within the international sports industry. By the time you're listening to this, our steering group will be taking a look at the shortlisted applications. Just a reminder that we will be announcing the 2023-24 class on the 24th of October. So best of luck. But otherwise, we have one more New Era episode coming before the end of the year. If you have any topics that you'd like us to cover or any questions you want answered on the pod, then please email podcast at sportspromedia.com with the subject line New Era. But otherwise, thank you, Millie. Thank you, Tori. It's been lovely chatting with you today. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye.